millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is 10 News First Person. I'm Narelda Jacobs. COVID-19 has had a big effect on us all. But what is it like being in a position of authority during the crisis? How do our leaders go about trying to handle being responsible for so many people in a time of such upheaval? Our 10 News First team have spoken to our state premiers to find out how they and their governments have been dealing with the ongoing crisis. In this episode, Lachlan Kennedy catches up with New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. I wanted to start back on December 31, New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in the midst of an unprecedented bushfire season. Horrible time. And in fact, on that day, you delivered the worst possible news that a father and son, Patrick and Robert Sawway, had lost their lives in Cabago trying to defend their home. But at that very time, according to the World Health Organization, on December 31, it was getting the first reports of viral pneumonia with no known cause in Wuhan City. Now, obviously, our focus here in New South Wales is on the disaster and the emergency right in front of us. But I'm intrigued. Do you remember the moment when someone said to you or you first read about this virus coming out of Wuhan and someone said, this is something we need to pay attention to? Yeah, it was um, pretty much mid mid to third week of January Mm. when we really started sitting up and noticing. At that stage, we hadn't had our first case yet, but it was something we were definitely monitoring and watching. And, of course, by Australia Day... When we'd had that first case, uh, we'd pretty much already got into action, set up our emergency office. Uh, the health officials, to their credit, had started the testing already, uh, which was pretty early on. And even though we were talking about it, I don't think the public had really captured the seriousness of this because uh, being down under has its advantages. And when something seems so far away, you don't tend to notice it until it hits closer to home. Uh, But I am very proud of those health officials who really, from Australia Day onwards, were saying to me, Premier, we're really worried about this. The health minister was as well. We'd started practising a degree of social distancing amongst us and and started talking about it publicly. Um, And I also, I guess, having come off the back of the bushfire season, had seen how well all of our government agencies across 20-odd different agencies had come together to work really well. Mm. I knew in my head and in my heart that we needed to set up a similar operation for the pandemic, which is why I rang up Shane Fitzsimmons, hot off the bushfires, and said, can we borrow RFS headquarters? (laughs) He was still the RFS commissioner then. What did he say? Because obviously he had such a busy season. He said, said, sure, Premier, if that's what you think you need, I said, can we at least have it till the beginning of the fire season? Because that worked so well and Mm. I'd seen how the logistics was, was operated. And whilst Health would be the lead agency in terms of the advice, I knew we'd need the police in particular, the emergency services. So my next call was to Commissioner Fuller. Mm. Uh, Commissioner, uh, police are going to play a large role in this. I kind of knew that it wouldn't just be a health issue, but if we were going to ask people to do certain things, we'd need the support of the police and our emergency agencies, the paramedics, 
education department. I mean, there wouldn't mm. be an aspect of society not impacted. So we've got in that mindset of having that coordinate activity again. So the bushfires, as horrific as they were, I think built up our resilience to an extent and our ability to deal with things. And um, it was a very difficult time because how do you manage something um, you don't know to what extent it's going to hit your, your state, your nation, and how can you prepare your citizens as best possible? Well, how did you prepare yourself? Because, I mean, without downplaying it too much, I imagine there's not a course you can do on, on how to manage no. a pandemic as a Premier. So how did you shift your mindset from bushfires to you know, yeah. global health emergency? Uh, I think what you, you automatically kick into gear and you don't overanalyse the situation too much. What you do think about is what do I need to do to keep my citizens safe? What do I need to do to keep my citizens well? And uh, there wasn't an issue in my public life. I mean, bushfires came close where it impacted nearly every citizen in our state, because even though you weren't close to a fire, you still felt the, the trauma to an extent, not the full extent of what people who'd lost their homes or lost their lives or loved ones were going through. Smoke, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. you could see it. And that for us was a taste of being involved in an issue which impacted everybody. And the pandemic went that level further where every single person feared, including myself, mm. you fear for your loved ones, not so much yourself. You worry about elderly people in your life. You worry about those most vulnerable and you worry about keeping people safe. And I guess that fear that I had allowed me to assess what the citizens were going through, what people in our state were going through, it was a, a very human way to respond because you think, well, this is how I'm feeling, this is what, how everybody else is feeling, how can we get through this? And that, I think, um, helped develop a lot of the policies we put in place. Did you turn to anyone in particular for advice? There were a lot of people actually, and what I thought to myself, and I was so pleasantly surprised, I thought to myself, We've got outstanding health experts, um, outstanding colleagues that can really provide input, and they did. And I thought, but we need the best and brightest in New South Wales to help us as well. So I did make a few calls. I called people outside of government. Um, I can called, I ask who you called? I called leading business people, yeah. I called um, people like, uh, well, Scott Farquhar I got in touch with him from Atlassian. He was great in data, helping us manage some of the data. I mean, he just gave us his insights because he's you know, his company spans the world. He was able yes. to give us global insights as to what was happening with the data. Um, I knew Rod McGeoch had great global contacts with accessing uh, products and services through his experience with the Olympics. And so I, um, and he had experience in health. So I asked him to help us uh, really look to the private sector around the world on getting the medical supplies, because I knew we had to build up our capacity in the health system. And just generally, um, I look, there's so many other people I was in touch with, um, leading business leaders, who I won't embarrass by naming them all. <laughs> but Rod and Scott, Scott have already been on the public record, yeah. so I, I'm happy to speak. But, but leading business leaders What who, about for you personally, though, to, to help you, you know, guide on how to, how to message uh, and how to, I guess, keep yourself going? Because you went from one yeah, unprecedented emergency yeah to another, yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine you haven't been, you haven't been sleeping that no, much either. No, no, but I think one learning from me during the bushfires was, um, people know you're not perfect, people know there'll be mistakes, but I think what they appreciated during the bushfires was the fact that I fronted all the time and kept them informed and had relied on the experts to, to drive our decision making and I knew I had to do that in the pandemic. I thought I've got to front good news, bad news, people need to understand why we're making decisions because some of the decisions in isolation would seem crazy, but if you explain to them why uh, you're asking them not to do a particular thing, why the health advice is saying that, 
Um, and so my job really every day, every night, was to um, get the data from the health experts, get the advice from the ministers and, and everybody involved, and then translate it to a, a meaningful way in which the public felt confident that every decision we made was in their best interest. And I knew that uh, that regular contact was necessary because if, you, if I didn't have that regular contact, people wouldn't build trust in what we were doing and wouldn't come on the journey. And, and I hope that people feel that trust has developed over that time. Just the, just knowing that good or, good or bad, she will front and tell it like it is. And that was my aim, just to do that. And, um, you know, so, so I say to everybody, that as I've been starting to get out into the community, I've done a couple of um, non-press related events where I've started... Um, you know, in a COVID safe way, getting out and about. Um, people have remarked on that frequency and said they appreciated that at a difficult time. So I said to them, don't stress unless you see me every morning at eight o'clock and then you'll know. Well, it, well yeah. it was every morning at eight o'clock. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued to know because your work ethic is well known. Your colleagues yeah. always say you're across every detail. Yeah. Can I ask, when do you sleep? Oh, no, look, I try. I, I'm, I'm, I, I've learned in this job to do um, reasonably well at it, you need to look after your, your mind, mm. your body, and so I try and eat healthily and try and sleep as much as I can. When did you get time to do the shopping? Uh, well, <laughs> no, it's okay. I manage. I manage. Everything is, you know, I'm, I'm fine in that regard. But um, but certainly, there's also a degree of stress and adrenaline that keeps you going as well, and a huge responsibility. But I, I felt a deep sense of privilege during this time, and um, people think, oh, that's just a cliche, but it was really a sense of gosh I'm premier at a very difficult time and it's an enormous uh, stress but also an enormous privilege and and you know the buck stops with my government the buck stops with my team and let's do our best and that's that's been our motto and yes um, you know we, we'll make mistakes again we'll make you know do things that we didn't know in hindsight but the one thing that I said to all of my colleagues and my team both inside and, and outside government that we're relying on and even the Treasurer relied on a lot of economists outside of government uh, in terms of the stimulus packages and what we did our motto was no matter what happens let's learn every day and take that learning forward and what we know now compared to what we knew in January is outstanding we've learned a lot in the last few months and we also used the time when all of us were at home to build up our capacity in our health system, build up our processes. And, you know, I can't predict what will happen in the next little while, but I know uh, the chances of spikes are very highly, they're highly probable. Mm. <laughs> they're they're uh, extremely likely. But I also know that we're in a very strong position to deal with that because we've set up our processes. I have confidence in the people managing it. Doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes and human error always creeps in, but I feel very confident about our ability to deal with things that might come up. The Professor and the Hack. Accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
You mentioned before your fears, and I, mean, I imagine obviously there's a fear for the community, but also some personal fears as well. You'd, you'd made a point a few times in press conferences that you'd locked your parents <laughs> up, up, up essentially. Yeah. Um, have you seen them now? Can you see them? No, I've seen them. I've seen them. They, they are, um, you know, my dad in particular is very independent. He's 88 and likes to get out and about. And so now that the risk has dissipated mm. a bit. Um, I'm, I'm less obsessed with that, but I, I guess... Um, Have you been able to give them a hug though? No, I haven't actually. I've chosen not to. Only because, um, and I don't recommend it for everybody. If, well, that's the thing though, everybody has to assess their own personal risk. But I'm with people I don't know every day. I'm with, uh, you know, in large, well not large, but in gatherings of press conferences where there could be a number of people that uh, I don't know where they've been and what they've done. And so just not for me, but for my parents, I would never want to be in a position where I unintentionally cause someone else harm. And even if friends ring up and invite me somewhere, I'll say, well, you've got to take on the risk that I'm someone who is still in, a, in contact with a lot of people. I'm careful, but you know, most of the time they say, oh, don't worry about it, glad. But, but, but in essence, you, you need to worry about that, I think. And all of us, uh, depending on what we're doing. And I know that a lot of health workers and a lot of teachers are going through the same thing. I mean, I had friends who were both nurses and, and teachers and the extent they went to to protect their families in case um, they came across someone with the virus. So I know that um, what I am what I was experiencing was extremely similar to so many others. And and I always like to think, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're during a bushfire crisis and you're asking volunteers and, and firemen and women to go in and put their lives on the line and similarly, in a pandemic, um, it's very sobering. So the least you can do is the right thing because you're asking people to really put their own well-being on the line. You mentioned earlier there's a few things in hindsight you might want to do differently. What are they? Um, I certainly don't have any regrets about the decisions we've taken as a government. Um, but during, I mean, it's too early to tell, to be honest. Um, and I always say, don't judge us now on, on what's happening every day but how will we get through this period with keeping as many people employed as possible, keeping as many people obviously as healthy uh, as possible. So I think it's too early to judge us yet and judge how we're going. I think um, we need to wait uh, to the end of the process before we can really look back and say, this is what we should have or could have done. Um, but certainly, um, you know, I've said to my team, we want to know regrets policy. Let's always err on the side of safety and, um, and Let's, let's never put our citizens at, at a risk that we wouldn't be willing to take on ourselves. And certainly when we make decisions, I always think, would I be prepared to do that? How would I feel if that was me or my loved one that had to do that? And that really is an important measure, I think, of decision making. Around doing things differently though, March 19, the Ruby Princess. Do you think things should have been done differently? Well, look, that's, there's an inquiry now going on to, um, to, to give me advice on that, to give the government advice on that. And, you know, that was a time where you know, states have never ever been asked to look after borders before, and that was very early on in the process. Um, and at the time I said, and I still say, lots of mistakes were made by lots of different groupings of people, and, and that's why Commissioner Walker will give us the best advice on that. But do, you have, do you have confidence that this special commissioner inquiry I actually do. Yeah. I think, I think um, Commissioner Walker is known for his um, thoroughness and uh, ability um, to, to deal with issues at this level. and. Um, and I said to him, full licence, all of us deserve to know what happened. And do you think there will be actions, things that need to change in terms of processes after that? Well, I'm not going to preempt what he finds, but, um, but certainly since that time, uh, the federal and state governments uh, set new protocols for, the, for mm -hmm. Australia in relation to that. So we didn't have those protocols at that time, which we now have. 
Uh, and so that's, that's always the case. You always have to move forward and learn from what's occurred and, and make sure you're always moving forward in a good way. This period's been characterised by some very big decisions. You've had to make some very big calls, decisions that have affected people's livelihoods effectively. Yeah. You know, some decisions have shut down entire industries, yeah. uh, hospitality, tourism, uh, events. Um, events, for example, is still closed. People still out of work. Is there a particular decision that for you was harder to make than the others, both in initially responding to this pandemic, but also now as we try to reopen and ease some of yeah, those Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's uh, the decision to shut down when we did was a difficult one because I knew people would react in different ways, but I also know it was the right decision because we could see where the data was going. Uh, we could see where the trends were going. And uh, I, I believe very strongly, as, my, as does my team, that um, you can't really manage the economic consequences unless you get the virus under control. And that was the first condition we had to satisfy. Did that decision come soon enough? In terms of? Shutting down. I think yes. Mm -hmm. If you look at hindsight, the fact that we have, and we shouldn't be measured by the number of cases a day, it should be measured by how you manage the pandemic. But if you look at where we were to where we are now, um, that, that's certainly something I'm glad we did at the time. Because once you get to a certain level and it gets out of too much out of control, it's really difficult to rein it back in, as we've seen around the world. I didn't want us to be uh, sim you know, to, in similar situations to cities you know, similar to Sydney, who were going through this, um, and that was a good learning for us. I'm, I'm glad we did what we did when we did, um, but obviously reopening now is, is challenging, but I'm pleased with the progress we're making and getting that balance right. You mentioned that it's perhaps too early to judge and don't judge by the number of cases. What would you then say is a fair criteria for um, your actions and that of your team to be judged? I think what, it, the, I think what success looks like is having a healthy population who is able to go about their daily business, earn a living and keep the economy going. I mean, that's really, it, it's finding the right balance or the right steady state during the pandemic. It's how can we all live as normally as possible during what is a global crisis. Uh, and that's what we should be measured by. Um, and we also have to accept that through no consequence of anybody's individual actions that there will be cases, there will be people who will be very ill because of this. Um, heaven forbid there'll be people who'll die because of this illness. Mm -hmm. We have to accept that. That's what a pandemic unfortunately does. But we also um, have to make sure that we keep our citizens well informed, that we're not scared to be flexible. Like there are various times when you, you, you're certain on a course of action, but then you learn something new or a situation arises where you do have to change course. And we should also let down our guard and our fear of changing course if we need to, mm. because you need to react to something very quickly and you should let your ego go and make decisions uh, if you have to very quickly, which might be different to what you'd hoped they'd be. Using that criteria, do you think the Victorian government has failed? Uh, no, look, I, I would never cast judgment on another government. And, but it's interesting that every state um, within the national framework has had its own course. And, you know, what's happening in Victoria could very well happen in New South Wales. So, um, you know, I, I like the fact that all, everyone's trying to support Victoria during this time. But we shouldn't assume that won't happen in New South Wales. It only takes a few people to either knowingly or unknowingly have the virus and spread it to many others. And that's why all of us have to be vigilant. And no matter what the case numbers say, or, or no matter 
um, what you assume the situation to be. Until the pandemic's over, all of us need to assume the people we're dealing with um, have the disease or could have the disease, and that's why it's really important to get tested if you've got symptoms, to keep the distance and to keep your, your hands sanitised. You make an interesting point about the pandemic being over. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel or do you think we're going to return to a point where I can walk into a room and, and shake your hand? And... Look, Lockie, that'll eventually happen. But uh, in the meantime, I think we have to assume, because we don't know the end date, we have to find, and we're not quite there yet, but we need to find what I call the steady state, where we have enough activity, enough normality whilst managing the virus. And as we're emerging through the restrictions, we're getting to that stage. And so the real challenge is how do you get to a state where the economy's Coming, people are working, people have a good quality of life, but we're still managing the pandemic. That is the steady state we need to get to. We're getting there, but we're not there yet. Do you think that could be months or what? Well, it again depends on um, how all of us react to the easing of restrictions. And I have to say, what really scares me is I've seen too much diversity in the way in which people are responding to the, to the restrictions. So some places I go to are really careful and strict, and that appeals to me because I'm someone who likes to follow the rules. And there are other places which are a bit too relaxed for my liking. So whilst we're doing well now, it won't always be the case and we need to assume the worst. And that's why every time a new business opens or every time there's a new event or a new activity, we've always said to people, make sure you have a COVID safe plan. Make sure you've got a positive way in which you can keep yourself, your staff and the people visiting you or, or interacting with you safe. And that's really important. And I want to commend, in addition to health and police and emergency services, our Service New South Wales staff, they've been phenomenal. We're hiring an extra thousand of them. We've nearly hired um, that many already. And the way they've been able to give information to businesses, to individuals has been really positive. And we just want people to reopen, re-energise, reactivate themselves uh, in a COVID safe way. And that includes individuals, but also businesses and organisations. Because if we don't do that, and there is a spike, it'll be really difficult to control. So the more COVID safe we are now, uh, if we put in the hard yards now and, and are fussy on the air, you know, side of being fussy, we'll be able to contain any spikes that we have rather than have things go out of control. If I can return this to a difficult decision you've made, mm -hmm. um, and it must have been personally difficult as well, because as you said, you've got friends who are nurses and teachers, yeah. the public sector wage friends. These are people who are on the front line of this pandemic that you thanked publicly yeah. almost every day for their efforts. Yet at the same time, your government is, is freezing their pay increase, that 2.5%. Do you think that action doesn't make your thanks look a little insincere to these people? I hope not. But, um, Lucky, what's important to remember is um, the New South Wales government is the largest employer in the nation, and we've made a commitment to all of our staff, all 400 and something thousand mm. of them, that their job is safe. And I can't say this the same for 90% of our workers who aren't in that position. And just as I have friends who are nurses and teachers, I have friends who work in the private sector who've had to have, they've already had their pay, pay cut. Uh, they've had their hours reduced, but they're working harder even though they've had their hours reduced and they haven't gone back to normality. So I think it's tough for everybody and it's, it's a tough decision, but my job and the job of my government is to keep as many people employed as possible and every spare dollar we have, and it's not a spare dollar we have, it's a spare, a spare dollar that we can contribute towards keeping those jobs and creating those jobs is really important. And that includes borrowing, which our government hasn't done before. So, uh, so to Are you, you going to have to borrow now? Well, we've already said that we are, yeah. right, because we're going to have to look at every measure we have because our priority is to keep people in jobs. Imagine in April alone, so from the end of March to the beginning of May, 
we lost 221,000 jobs in this state. Can you imagine households with you know three or four kids, no income coming in? I mean, how those people, how those families are managing um, really does keep me awake at night. And I don't want to see hundreds and thousands of others be in that situation because once JobKeeper finishes, um, you know, there are a couple of million on JobKeeper, at least a third of those would be in New South Wales. And I hope for many people it means they can stay with their employers, that this process has allowed uh, employers to keep on their staff and then get through this period. And that was the intent of JobKeeper. But I do worry what that could mean for additional people in New South Wales. And that's why we're pre preparing for that. Every spare dollar we have has to go towards job creation, job security, and new opportunities for people to employ others. Your friends who you know who are affected by this wage freeze, do they understand and they appreciate that job guarantee, I guess, the fact that their yeah, jobs are... Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting. I've received emails and correspondence from people as well. I'm not going to pretend that everybody has that view, but I've certainly been heartened by the feedback I've had and people understand the situation we're in. And I hope people also understand that by keeping... We've invested billions of dollars extra in health in particular to keep our health workers safe. You mean the less cases the less exposure they have. Similarly for teachers, the deep cleans we've done, the extra contracts for cleaners we've put on. I mean, we did essentially 2,200 extra contracts, cleaning contracts for each public school to make sure we keep our teachers and our school community safe. So we've um, invested additional billions of dollars to keep our frontline workers as safe as possible because we appreciate what they're doing. They're putting themselves on the line. And, um, and, and, I, and I hope people appreciate that. Yeah. Just quickly, back in May, there was an interesting few days where a couple of members of your senior team, your Deputy Premier and your Transport Minister, seriously considered a move to federal politics. Now, we know they didn't yeah. in the end, but I was intrigued. Have you ever considered no. a move to federal politics? Is that not <laughs> no. something that intrigues you? No. Why no. not? Uh, because I, I feel privileged to have the job I do. So, um, and uh, I aspire to um, live up to the standards our citizens expect of me every day. And... Uh, you can never please everybody, but if I can put my head on the pillow every night and know I've done my best, I've worked my hardest, uh, I've left nothing at the office or on the field or at, the, at wherever I am, um, that gives me enormous satisfaction because how many people get to be in the position I'm in? We've got the best state in the best country on the planet and it's an honour to be the leader and, uh, and if I can do my best, um, that for me is, is, is wonderful which does flow nicely to my final question. <laughs> Back in March, you said you would absolutely contest the 2023 election. A lot has happened in just a few months this year. So I want to know, is it still your intention to yep. contest 2023? It is. Yep. Absolutely. That's my intention. Premier. If the people will have me, of course. <laughs> Premier, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Lachlan. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. We'll see you next time. Looking for your next favourite podcast? Why don't you head over to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.